This morning, as we continue to look at the importance of Scripture, why we need to know it, we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through chapter 2, verse 2. We're going to look at how we are made holy through the Word of God, what it even means to be holy. I want to ask you a few questions before we look at this. One is, what do you know about God? What do you know about God? And how do you know it? If the Bible is not trustworthy, what do you really know about God? If it is trustworthy, why don't we know it better? See, the scriptures, the Bible, it's the plumb line of truth. And what a plumb line is, if you don't know, it's a, an, an old but useful device. It's a long string with a weight attached to the end so you can put it next to a wall to make sure your wall is straight. That way, as you build higher and higher, your wall won't tip one way or the other. And the Bible teaches us how to walk the straight and narrow. The Bible is our plumb line for truth. The Word of God is truth. It enlightens our eyes. The Word of God is pure. It converts the soul. The Word of God is a treasure. It makes the foolish wise. That's all of us. And the Scriptures are not just the most important book in the world. It's the most important thing in the world. It's a treasure from God. And without them, we would truly be lost. And whoever builds his house on these words will never be shaken. Whoever does not build his house on these words will be like a foolish man who built his foundation on sand. And that house will fall. So listen to the word of God this morning because this word, as we will see, has the power to purify our souls, to make us who we're supposed to be. Begin reading in verse 22 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, Love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So what we would need to understand this morning is it's the beginning of the year. I'm trying to get you to read your Bible. I'm trying to get you to think about it. I'm trying to get you to hide it in your heart. I want to do that myself. But I want to talk about what happens, what is supposed to be happening to you as you read the Word. The effect is supposed to happen in your soul, and if it's not having this effect, it's not doing you any good. So the first thing I want you to know this morning, and this rhymes, so maybe it'll help you remember, the Word of God is the root of all of our fruit. The Word of God is the root of all of our fruit. Look at the verbs. It's very English majory of me, but verbs are important. It tells you the action. They're very important. Purified, love, and even born again. Purified, love, born again. These are the things that happen to you as you read the Word of God. These are made possible by the living and abiding Word of God, Peter says here. So if you want these three things, purification, love, and be born again, you must have the Word of God. It is the imperishable seed that has been sown in your heart so that you might be born again. And so I want to be crystal clear here. It's not 
just about checking off the boxes to read through the Bible in a year plan. I want to be clear as crystal. The fruit of the Christian life that God is looking for is the love of others. The Bible is a tool that gets in our heart that waters that seed so that we might have the fruit of loving others. That's the goal. The goal is not to finish the Bible in a year. The goal is to be more like Christ and to love others, to be purified in your soul. And if you don't love others, if we don't love others, we're not Christians. That's as easy as I know how to put it. If you have in your heart hatred towards others, you're not a Christian. Jesus said, if you say, I love God and hate your brother, you're still in darkness. If we don't love others, we're not Christian. So if you find this morning that you have a prejudice in your heart against others, if you have hate towards others, the Word of God has not yet done its work in your heart. If you live in fear of others, the Word of God has not yet done its work in your heart. The love of God casts out all fear. And I'm not just talking about loving your family and friends, and neither is the Bible. This is hard, but you must hear it, and I must hear it too. Jesus said this. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, listen to him, listen to him. <laughs> love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Listen to this, just in case we're not getting it. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. So Jesus, is when he calls us to love, and when he's calling us to love here in First Peter, he's not calling you just to love your family more, your church more. He's calling you to love your enemy and those who persecute you. Jesus said these words in the context of an empire that had conquered his land. The Jewish people lived under the domination of Rome and the Gentiles. So imagine your worst enemy, whoever it is in your brain, that you think is our worst enemy and you're scared to death they're going to get us. You're scared Sharia law is going to come to the United States. Pretend that happened. And we're ruled by that. Jesus calls you right now, love them. Love those who persecute you. Love them. That's the call for Christian service. There's no less than that. You must love your enemies. So you say right now in your heart, I can't do that. Get in this word. Get in the word so that your heart might be changed, so that your pride might be broken, you might be humble, and you realize we are all made in the image of God, and every single one of us need the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's the only thing that's important. It's the most important thing in the world. So we're not called to love one another. We're called to love those who aren't like us, those who consider us their enemy. Those who persecute you would do violence against your person because of who you are. We're, at, we're to have compassion for people of all colors, of every ethnicity. We're to be concerned with the welfare of the immigrant, whether legal or illegal. And that way we can be sons of our fathers in heaven. We're called to love Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus. We're, this call to love is all-embracing. It is never stopping. It does not slack up. It always hopes. It always believes. It loves the truth and is always extended to everyone everywhere. It believes the best of others, gives the benefit of the doubt. It is long-suffering and patient. And if we don't have this, we're not Christian. We're just cloaked in religion to pretend so that we might love our tribe and strengthen it, but we don't love God. And I worry, and I think it's obvious, that our 
culture and even the church at large is not imbibing the word of God and being washed by it and growing that seed of truth. Because if it was, we would not see the hate that we see now. We would see the extension of mercy and grace. If we find our love to be deficient, it's because we haven't yet got God's word in us. It hasn't grown. We haven't understood the cross. You understand the cross, you can begin to understand compassion and mercy and love for others. Because I would be in hell, the exact same part as anybody else, without the love of God in Christ. I was not better. I'm the same. We don't know the cross if we don't love. We haven't seen our own sin. We haven't understood our own unworthiness. We've never, we can't understand why Jesus weeps over Jerusalem because it was full of his enemies and the people who would kill him in just a few days. He sits on a mountain overlooking Jerusalem, begins to weep and says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have longed to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but you would not come. If we don't love like that, we don't understand Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. We don't understand his weeping at Lazarus' tomb. Why is he crying? Lazarus is dead. He's crying because of sin. He's crying because of death. We don't understand. We can't feel the mercy that God had toward the man whose son had a demon. Kept throwing him in the fire. You remember that? And this man comes to Jesus and says, Can you help me? Your disciples can't help me. My son has a demon. He's throwing him in the fire. It's awful. And Jesus said, do you believe I can do this? What did the man say? He was, not a, he was not a stellar picture of faith. He said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. <laughs> we don't understand his compassion for the leper or his grace toward the blind, toward the least of these. If we don't have love, we don't understand I want to tell you today, in the, in the starkest terms, if we do not have love, we're dead dogs. We are nothing. We are blind leaders of the blind, and we are false. We are false. Our confession is not true. There's no two ways about it. Paul said the same thing in 1 Corinthians 13. We, we read this at weddings. We read it at weddings because it's about love, and that's beautiful. But it's not just for weddings. Paul said, if you have all knowledge and know all mysteries, and I'll say, even if you check off your boxes and read your scripture through in a year, every year, even if you give your body up for martyrdom, if you hear the word of the Lord and come to preaching, without love, here's what Paul says, without love, you are nothing. So the purpose of scripture and the beauty of scripture is that it kindles this love in us. It convicts us. It makes us uncomfortable. It makes us change our mind. So if you have one prayer, one prayer every day, make it this. God, teach me to love as you have loved. Pray that every day. And if you can do that, you will be the finest Christian that ever lived. Teach me to love as Christ has loved us. And he will do it if you'll read the word. But when you do, know this. When you begin to read this word with an eye to be convicted and broken and humbled so that you might love others, the seed that God has planted in your heart will bud and grow. And your heart will not be able to hold it. And it will break your heart. Because you will lift up your eyes and you will see 
that the harvest is plentiful, that the laborers are few. And those you once hated as enemies, you will see that they've been defeated and defiled by our enemy. They're not your enemy. Satan is our enemy. And he is the one who is leading the whole world astray. He's blinding our eyes to make us think that there is differences between us. They cannot be worked out or aren't because of sin. The word of God will grow and will break our hearts. And that's what it's supposed to do. Because until your heart is broken, God won't be able to feel it with his love. You've got to get you out before you can get him in. And the word of the Lord is not only the root of all our fruit, it will last forever. Peter says here that all flesh is like grass. We are like grass. I tell myself this all the time. You have to remind yourself of this. You are like grass. We wither and fade. The word of the Lord remains forever. We are not here very long. We are a shadow. We are a passing. But the word of God will be here forever, brothers and sisters. Our days are numbered. And it will not be long before somebody preaches my funeral. Even if I live 40 years, that's not long. 40 more years. It's not long. It's really not. But the Bible will be here forever. Because it's a gift from God to us. It has been read by Hebrew slaves. In captivity in Babylon. Huddled around their fires and hearth and home. Reading it thousands of years ago. The same word. It has been treasured by Christians meeting in the secrecy of caves. The catacombs of Rome when they were being persecuted. The exact same book you have, they read it. It's why you're here. It's why I'm here. It's being studied today by Africans meeting under the Baobab trees. They're there. Treasuring God's word. It will remain when we are gone. It is reading read and Treasured by Indians meeting at the Ganga River this morning right there in the stronghold of Hinduism where they would I have seen myself the persecution that those Christians endure. By Egyptians gathered by the Nile this morning there are Christians reading and treasuring this word and have for hundreds and even thousands of years. And we are dust when we're dust and ash, if Jesus tarries for a thousand years. People will still be reading it and purified through it. It never fades. The word of God is being exalted all over the planet for thousands of years with one goal and one aim, to make everyone on the face of the earth repentant lovers of Jesus Christ and lovers of their brothers and sisters. Long after the sun has burned out and the stars have failed. We will still need this gospel and love it. In a million years, the stories this book contains will never be forgotten. The words and deeds of the saints will never be forgotten by God or by us. And so, this morning, what we're being invited to do by Almighty God is to read this book, to imbibe it, to grow from it, and to be changed by it. It is perfect. As we read last week in Psalm 119, it's perfect, converting the soul. It will change you. And even if you already know Christ, it will continue to change you, and you may not like it. 
In fact, a lot of times we won't. The Bible is not subtle in confronting us with our sins. It will last forever and it is good news. The word of the Lord is good news. This is what he says here. And the word is the good news. That means gospel. Gospel means literally good news. And the word is the good news that was preached to you. And here's what we're supposed to do. Put away all malice. I'm, I'm serious. Please, I beg, with, I beg you as an ambassador of Christ. Look in your heart and see if there's malice in there. Is there malice toward any in your heart? The word of God says... Put it all away. Put it all away. All deceit. Don't even lie to yourself. All hypocrisy, envy, and slander. Get rid of all of it. Replace it with love. Like newborn infants, long for pure spiritual milk that you may grow up into salvation. Look at that. That's so nice. Long for the word of the Lord that you may grow up in the salvation. We're not there yet. Not a single one. Every single one of us have to grow in love. Every single one of us, every day as we walk in the Spirit, should be confronted with our own sin and our own selfishness and our own failures. And not just that we have failed, I'm going to make up for it, but the reason I keep failing is because inside of my heart is something gross. When I try to do the thing that I should do, I find that evil is right there with me. I find my fears. I find my pride. I find those things in there. And I want to grow up into salvation. And if I want to do it, it's got to be through this word. The pure word that I may grow up into salvation. He doesn't say, hey, you're saved. Once you're saved, you're always saved. You're good to go. No, he says, grow up into salvation. Mature in the faith. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, and that's so... Important to remember, you barely know Jesus. You barely know him. The half has not been told to you. John says at the end of his gospel that he doesn't think that the whole world could contain. If he wrote down every deed that Jesus did, the world could not contain the books that should be written. You barely know Jesus. But what you know, if you know him, is good. And what the author is saying here, what Peter is saying here, if you've tasted and seen that Jesus is good, keep going back to the well for another taste. The word of the Lord is good news. It is the most important thing we can ever know. That Jesus Christ, perfectly described in these pages, would live and die for you, and not just for you, but for everybody. If you will repent, if you will love him, if you will follow him with all of your heart. This gospel is for everybody. I speak, like Paul says, as if a man insane. I have, I, I have been to Ghana. I preach the same thing to them I'm preaching to you. To Uganda, in Tanzania, in Brazil, in Portugal, in Nicaragua. I had to write these down. I didn't even remember everywhere I've been. All these places I've been. I preach this gospel the exact same way to them as I'm speaking to you this morning. As I speak to myself every single day. Every single day. I even once had the opportunity to share the gospel with Guys from the Bandito motorcycle gang at a greasy spoon in Louisiana. It's great. It's good news for them. It's good news for me. 
They needed to hear it, and I do too. It is the only, listen, it's not just good news. It is the only good news in this dead and dying place. There is no other good news. Every single thing hinges on the fact that Jesus of Nazareth died for sin and rose from the dead. There is no other good news. Because everything else is going away. And if it's not for the resurrection power of Jesus, there is, this is futility. It's vanity. The good news is that Jesus Christ loves sinners among whom I am chief. And he died to save sinners like me and like you. And that he will not only die for us and live for us, that he will save us to the uttermost, all who come to him. Every single one. That's what the Bible is. It is a salvation machine. It is an unstoppable word of good news and proclamation for all peoples, for all times, for all ages. And we have this in our house and we don't read it. It's crazy. We, this is a sign of our depravity, is that God has given us such a thing as this, and it gets dusty. And we don't teach it to our kids. And we don't talk to them about it. We're messed up. We don't understand what a treasure we have. Jesus said somebody who discovers the gospel is like a man who went out in a field and found a treasure there, right? What did he do? He sold everything he had to buy that field. And you've got it right there in your lap and at your house. And we open it on Sunday. And it's all we can do sometimes just to stay awake. I do my best. That's what the Bible is. That's what the scriptures are. And there's so much horror in the world. There really is. And people like to talk about it. To scare you so you'll come back and look at it again. To be frightened again and Huddle up in your homes and distrust everybody and your neighbors instead of saying, I am already dead. I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live, I live in the Son of God. And so if I go out there and they kill me, you can't kill a dead man. I gave up my life a long time ago. If you think Jesus has been hard on you, I was reading Ezekiel yesterday, you hadn't done anything. Yeah, we haven't done squat. Ezekiel, servant of the Lord, was called on to prophesy to Israel. And that wasn't the worst thing. This is what aggravated me. I confessed it. He had to go out and build him a little model of Jerusalem. Have you read this? If you read through your Bible, you read this. (laughs) He had to build a little model of Jerusalem and lay on his left side. And God bound him up. So he would look at that model city. And all day, he prophesied destruction on the city. And he laid there for 262 days and had to cook his food over cow dung. And that was a compromise. God said, first, you're going to cook the food over human excrement for 262 days. Being bound, laying on your left side. And Ezekiel said, oh, Lord, God, please. I've never eaten anything undefined. The Lord said, okay, okay. You can use cow dung. Thank you. 262 days. And when he was done with that, the Lord made him lay on his right side and prophesy over Jerusalem. And I thought to myself, that is sort of a bummer of a ministry. 
I'm sorry. That's, I'm being honest. He hasn't asked me to do anything. And as I read that word, that goofy story you might think, I was sanctified because I thought, I am a worse servant than Ezekiel. Because I'd be like Jonah, trying to find a first boat to Tarshish. Because God not only told him that. Here's the kicker. Nobody's going to listen to you anyway. Not even if Daniel came and made intercession for these people without relent from the wrath that I'm about to bring. But go and prophesy every day anyway. Oh, Lord. We got it so easy. We are children, aren't we? Spoiled children. Worried about things that don't even matter. Worried about things that will never even happen. Jesus talks about that too. This word will save you. It will save you. And we're such Baptists that we think the only thing we got to be saved from is hell. You need to be saved from stuff all the time. Worry, doubt, false guilt, driven towards real guilt. We need to be saved from our insecurities and our fears. The Lord's delivering us all the time like children. He will hold our hand and carry us into the promised land if you will read his word and get it in your heart. This word will sanctify you. It's a big word. And what does sanctify mean? It means all that stuff I just said. It means to get saved over and over and over again. Sometimes from the same stuff, I'm sorry to say. We are often like pigs washed, returning to the mud, and like a dog returning to its vomits. We are foolish. But the Lord is patient and he is good. And this word is sweet. It is honey in our mouth, if we will take and read that's how Augustine or Augustine depends on how snobby you are. Whether you say Augustine or Augustine, I won't tell you which one is which. But one of the great church fathers who was converted one day, sitting in a garden at wrestling in his soul. And children came by and sang, take and read, take and read. He had a Bible. He picked it up and read. And the Lord converted him. He'll do the same for you. 1,700 years later. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we pray that you will purify us, that you will teach us to love, and that you will cause us to be born again according to your word. Have mercy on our souls, Lord. We are lazy people. We are a spoiled people. We are a fearful people. And we are eaten up with the cares of the world. We confess it. No, none of us, none of us have succeeded in letting go of all those things. And every one of us need your help. Oh, Lord, there's so much ugly in our heart. Have mercy on us. For the sake of the Son of David, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy on us, the sinner. Lord, we pray this morning as we leave this place, we will have enjoyed a meal from your word and that as it digests it will give us a craving and hunger for more spiritual milk that we might grow from it that we might begin to build relationships based on the word that we'll read books together that teach us about your word that we will talk about these things as we rise up and as we lay down as we go about 
our business. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Revive our hearts. Please, make us like Christ. You are our only hope, our only joy, and our greatest love. Thank you for your mercy and kindness toward us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'll stand. Believe that Jesus died for your sin and that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. If you don't have a church home, you're interested in joining ours, I'd love to speak with you about how we receive members after the service. I'll talk to you about it. As we sing, this opportunity to think about the things which we have heard and maybe the Lord will nudge us a little more along the path of righteousness as we sing. Mm -hmm.